Good morning, everyone. It is me, Aurus Julia Sanchez, with my awesome wife, Aliza Sanchez, with another episode of Converse with Anyone, Anywhere. Guys, we are super excited, uh, of course, to be alive, of course, but uh, to have another... Yes, it is. I think so. <laughs> but it's um, we're here with a very, very special guest. His name is David Shahan, and we have him here because he is actually the CEO and founder of a startup company called Daz, D-A-Z-Z. Now, of course, immediately a lot of you want to know immediately what is this company all about, and I'm purposely not telling you because I'm trying to build the suspense and the mystery, guys. (laughs) (laughs) He does this all the time. It's so annoying. It's like, just tell me. But very soon, we're going to bring him in here, but before we start this interview, guys, please, we want every single one of you who are listening to please like follow, subscribe, find us on all social media platforms, and keep in touch with us, guys. Please, guys, send us your questions. We, we really love them and appreciate them, and we're always answering them. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Conversation Guru, YouTube, Conversation Guru, and our podcast, of course, Converse with Anyone, Anywhere. You can find it on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and just every other podcast directory out there. Okay, so let's get this started. All right, Mr. Shahan, David, how are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm doing excellent. How are you all doing? We're doing great. Thank God. Thank God. Yes, we're very excited yeah. to have you to have you here today. So, uh, do you want to start with the first question? or? Uh, sure. Uh, just so that our audience can get a better idea of what Daz is exactly, and I think that there's no one better qualified out there than to tell them but you, uh, David. Could you tell our audience a little bit about what is Daz? Yeah, and, and you guys really hyped it up. I'm, I'm afraid we're going to fall a little short of delivering on uh, on the suspense whenever everybody learns that Daz is part of the exciting world of household cleaners. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Well, everyone out there who's yeah, cleaned boy, a house knows just, that it's very exciting, actually. Yeah, make, makes your skin tingle. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it is a bit of a... Uh, um, a topic that, yeah, I mean, let's face it, most people don't like to clean. Um, but I think that where we bring something unique to the table is, is we've, we've reimagined the household cleaning industry and we've created um, some new products that um, definitely solve some problems and fix some issues that have been plaguing the industry for generations. So um, we're, household cleaning is not exciting, but we're doing our best to make it that way. So um, basically what we've done is we have taken household cleaners and we've eliminated all the water, the plastic bottles, everything like that. And we've created the products in effervescent tablets. So people can easily make their own cleaner at home using their own plain water, plain tap water, and the same spray bottle over and over again. Because what, what we learned was, was that the U.S. alone was contributing over 1 billion spray bottles uh, to our landfills every single year, uh, simply because they were empty, not because there's anything wrong with them. They just were empty. So um, we've come up with a solution to help people um, refill them and, uh, and save all that plastic from landfills. So it sounds like you've made astronaut cleaning stuff. Exactly. That's a good point. I need to reach out to NASA and see if we can toss any on there. The next shuttle, shuttle heading up. So, so, wait, so just so just so everyone in the audience can understand, and tell me if I'm wrong, David. So basically, uh, I'm trying to simplify it for myself. So, for example, so let's say instead of if you want to instead of buying you know more and more bottles of Windex bottles, right? You 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 basically created this tablet, right? Where let's say you finish using the let's say the, the, the that bottle the Windex bottle right you can buy these little tablets that you've created put it inside of this win, this Windex bottle tap, put some water in it maybe maybe shake it a little bit and now you don't have to throw away the bottle you use your own water and you just saved up some money and you're saving the environment and you're able to still clean the house correct that's it that's that's the that's the idea behind the whole. Um... Whole business is right there. You summed it up nicely. You know, it's it really is a pretty revolutionary product. Like the second I heard about it, I got so excited personally because um, I've read actually a little bit about cleaning products in the past. And there's this book that's The Power of Habit, and they speak about when cleaning products started adding like the smell 
involved with actually cleaning. Like before, like cleaning products didn't have like that lemon smell or that fresh scent or anything like that. Um, but when people started adding that, all of a sudden people would only buy things with that scent because they didn't feel like the actual room was clean until it had that scent. And that became like a marker for clean things. And it really revolutionized the entire cleaning industry. And I think that this um, product has the power to also revolutionize things, especially in this age where people are becoming more eco-conscious and they're worried about their carbon footprint and everything like that. The fact that they don't have to contribute to that while they're cleaning their house, which is like everyone's got to clean their house, is a really, really amazing thing. And I wanted to just get in, like delve into your mind a little bit there and how you even thought of creating this product. Yeah, well, I um, I came from the cleaning industry. So I've for the, for the past... 25 years I've been cleaning up other people's messes <laughs> started out in the dry cleaning business and and then uh, transitioned over to the commercial industrial cleaning sector creating chemical programs and, and running uh, companies uh, all throughout the US and, and even the world and one thing that I noticed was was that consumers really had been um, stuck with only one way to buy cleaning products and that was ready to use spray cleaners um, and from the commercial sector um, we would you know we, we've always used concentrates we would never throw out a, a bottle just because it was empty I mean that's an asset um, so um, consumers were never given that opportunity they were essentially being forced to buy that new bottle and sprayer and and also learned quickly that most of it's water most cleaners are up to 95 percent water so whenever you look at really what they were purchasing it was a lot of stuff they didn't need so um, and I'd also been noticing over the years as other commercial products and tools had made the transition to the consumer market. We, for instance, for years, we had used flat mop systems. Um, you know, while consumers were using old mop buckets and ringers, and then Swiffer came along and helped with that transition. We'd been using oxygenated uh, cleaning chemicals for, for years, and OxyClean um, made the transition over to the consumer market. So there's a lot of examples where things that had proven very efficient and economical in the consumer sector made the transition, but concentrated products never made the transition because one thing about consumers, we're all pretty lazy, for the for lack of a better uh, term. You know, we, we like things quick and easy and simply grabbing a bottle that's already mixed and measured and we can just start cleaning. That, that was always the go-to for everyone. And the big companies, you know, kind of uh, helped um, uh, enable us to fall into that habit by making everything so easy and readily available. Um, so I knew that if I was going to create a product that would make this transition, it had to be portion controlled. People don't want to measure and mix anything out. It'd have to be very simple. And so that's where the idea of the effervescent tablets came into play because they're, they, you know, they're super easy. You don't measure anything. You just open up packet, drop in the two tablets and, and you're good to go. Um, the effervescence allows it to mix quickly and, and efficiently. So there's no real effort there. And one other thing that helped with this transition is, is consumers are now in a, um, you know, uh, e-commerce frame of mind. Frankly, if they can't order it online, a lot of people just don't get it. Um, and traditional household cleaners and ready-to-use spray bottles, they don't ship well. These, you know, you can imagine tossing a bottle of Windex in the mail. It's going to leak. It's going to be a mess by the time you get it. So it just, I think, timing played out well for this idea too, because our tablets are small, they're light, they ship easily, very inexpensive. So I think a lot of things just came together at the right time. And, and also the, the um, consumer awareness of plastic waste. You know, it's, it's become a very visible issue for, for everyone, um, partly because China stopped buying our plastic waste in 2018. And previous to that, they would buy virtually all of our excess plastic waste. So it wasn't really an issue for us or for consumers, we didn't see it, but now it is. So I think it just, just one of those ideas that uh, everything just fell into place at the right time. It's, it, it's very interesting um, that, um, so well, a lot of the people who are listening right now 
of our audience, they're very entrepreneur-minded or they want to start something, right? Just like how, how, how you've started a couple things in your life. And it's so interesting that you took this simple idea and now you've created this company called Daz. So my question to you is, well, it's actually like a two-parter. So maybe, you know, you can maybe d d decide which one you want to answer first, which is basically how did you come up with this simple idea? Like, and... For people who are listening that are entrepreneurs, how can they take their idea and simplify it to bring it to the market? Can I just um, add one point yes. to that? I think it's also um, building on the, how this idea came to be. It's pretty amazing that just a change of perspective can create so much thought. Like from the uh, consumer perspective, they're not going to think of just a tablet or using the concentrator, things like that, because they're so accustomed to just having it all mixed before then. Mm -hmm. But when you went over to the industrial side or the commercialized side where you're preparing the product, all of a sudden you can see all of these other avenues for growth. So it just goes to show like our audience that if you feel like you're stuck in a problem, maybe just try looking at it from a different angle. Like go to someone else's perspective, go to someone who's buying it, go to someone who's teaching it, go to someone who's selling it. Try to see all those perspectives and maybe you'll come up with a different solution for it. Um, but you can go back to answering his question. <laughs> no, no, that, that that's perfect. That's that's a great answer. You know, I think I think most most um, successful products and businesses are usually founded on the principle that they're solving a problem. And sometimes it's a problem we don't know we we have. You know, I think you know things like the internet and stuff. You know, nobody knew that we needed that so so desperately. But you know, now that we've got it, we can't imagine living without it. So, so I think the first step is is embracing a problem, figuring out something that that you know that that you've determined is a problem or or needs a solution. And then, like you said, Elisa, you know, look at it from a different perspective because. Um, um, I think the answers to most problems, um, you know, come from creative solutions. So it's, it's, you know, switching things up and looking at it from a different perspective to help come up with that solution. Um, and, and then it's a matter of then effectively communicating to consumers or to the market that, that this, in fact, was a problem or is a problem. Um, and here's why. And then here's why your solution is going to solve it. So you know, I think that, that that's that's the foundation of really any any great business or product is that it, it resolves something. It fixes something or it improves something that needs improving. Um, and, then, and then getting the different perspective is a great idea. Do you mind um, telling us a little bit about the early days of Daz and um, some obstacles you may have had to overcome in terms of creating this amazing company? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people that I talk to now, it's amazing how many people will say to me, oh, we had the same idea. It might not, not have been tablets. It could have been something else. But but I think um, it's not it's not such a technically challenging industry that, that people can't easily see where where things could be improved. And I'm and most people will say, just like I did, because there were times that I would be throwing out a bottle of household cleaner and I'm thinking, man, I could, can I use this spray bottle for something else? You know, this it seems so wasteful to throw this out. So um, I think I think early on just recognizing the opportunity was just part of it. And I think that's where a lot of times entrepreneurs um, will lose their momentum. They, they, they recognize the opportunity and the problem, but they just don't stick with it to figure out the best solution. Because as, as I became committed to finding a solution, you know, I toyed around with so many different forms and processes. I tried packaging powders in such a way that they could be in dissolvable sachets that people dropped in and they would dissolve. I looked at liquid concentrates that could be in a form or a fashion that was easily for people to handle. So you know, I, there was a lot of trial and error as I eventually made my way to tablets. I mean, once I got to tablets, it was a matter of, okay, well, how do I make these things? And then, and um, once I figured out how to make the tablets, then it was a matter of, well, now I can't get the things to dissolve. They're hard as a rock. So, you know, I think with any journey that you're on, 
each step that you go through, you'll, you'll typically find another hurdle or another challenge. And um, there's a lot of opportunity to give up. Um, so I don't know whether I was just extra stubborn or, or what, but um, each, each hurdle, it was like, well, I'm going to figure out a way around this or over it or under it or something. And, and so I think that's where for anyone solving a problem, the key is just, you know, don't give up, you know, because once you solve one component, once one element of that problem, there's still a lot of layers to it. You've got a lot of stuff to get through before you come to the real solution. And it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs, right? A lot, maybe a lot of famous entrepreneurs or people who are trying to become an entrepreneur or build something, right? A lot of them, they'll say the same thing as what you just mentioned. Like, you know, I, I won't give up. I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn or I know this is a, a, I know that like this is a, a million dollar idea and so forth. But of course, there has to be some type of reality. So in your experience, David, what what kind of advice could you give those who are listening the difference between okay i just got to keep hustling because i know that this is a winner against you know come on i'm going to keep going i'm going to keep going but you have to realize that this idea or this product of yours is not a winner and it's not going to go anywhere so how can you tell the difference between I just need more time. I got to keep hustling. I can't give up between, oh, you know something? This is a failure. Let me go on to my next venture. How can you tell the difference? Yeah, that's that's tricky um, because you're right. Not all ideas you know, have got merit and, and will go someplace. And having the foresight to recognize which ones are the winners and which ones are the losers, that's that's tricky. So, and, and um as with most entrepreneurs, this certainly wasn't my first idea and probably won't be my last idea. It was easily 30, 40, 50 bad ones that I had before this one. Um, but I did a couple of things to help me feel comfortable that this was the one to really put my energy effort and, and my financial resources behind. Um, and two of them, yeah, probably the most effective ones were, one, I because I'm dealing with consumer product, um, I actually connected up with a buyer for a large um, grocery chain, particularly in Florida. Lisa, you'll, you'll recognize Publix. Oh, my God. Um, Publix is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I actually um, uh, got connected to a buyer for the household cleaning department of Publix. And, uh, you know, uh, at first, I thought it was going to be really hard to get an audience with this person. But once I let them know that, hey, I don't have a product I'm trying to sell you. I just need your advice. You know, people love giving advice. And so um, I reached out to him and I pitched the idea and I said, look, I'm thinking about this. But one, I don't even know if people would buy it, if stores would be interested in carrying it. So um, so by going in and, and going to who would be ultimately one of one of my customers, a, a grocery store buyer, I was able to validate the idea. Um, and so he gave me some very encouraging feedback that made me think, okay, they're, they're interested. Um, and then this next thing that I did, and this took a little bit of money, but not much, um, I conducted a couple of focus groups. Yeah. So I'd never done one before. Um, and I, I, really didn't have the money or want to spend the money on hiring a agency to conduct it. So I just simply put up a flyer at um, uh, the library at a couple of places. And I, and I called for 20 people and I said, Hey, for, for an hour's worth of your time, I'll give you a, a, a I think it was maybe a $15 um, Starbucks gift card. Um, and I had a waiting list of people. I ended up doing two of those sessions because everybody wanted to participate in it. <laughs> and, and it just was an opportunity to get everybody in a room, a, a, a variety of different people. And I had, you know, I, I researched what the typical household buyer or cleaning buyer look like with that profile. And as you would imagine, it was largely female within a certain demographic. And I got to throw the idea out to them. Hey, what do you think about this? What are some things that are interesting to you? Or what what boxes would I need to check off? And that's, you know, Lisa, you mentioned uh, fragrance. I was surprised at how, you know, as I was ranking the different buying um, motives for people for cleaners, how high fragrance 
ranked. So um, I learned a lot from that. But what I came away from it was every one of them was excited about the prospect of this being a product one day on the market. So, um, so, so each one of these steps made me feel a little more comfortable about this being a product that really had legs that I could run with. Um, so, so it took a little, you know, it took some time and took a little bit of an investment, but I was able to finally say, okay, this is the one, this is the idea that I'm going to put everything behind and, uh, and move forward. You know, it, it's funny. Cause like, I remember growing up, like if we brought like the wrong smelling cleaning product or detergent or something like that like my mom would get so upset and she'd be like I wrote it on the list specifically just like this go return it and get the other one um so it was a big deal because your house would smell like that um but I liked what you pointed out over there that people were very willing to give you advice that people wanted to help you out and this is actually something that we've noticed also in the real estate um community but a lot of these communities where I don't think there's like a typical like go to school, learn how to do this and go start your job. Like in the communities that don't have that, where people are a little bit more self-reliant, I have found that people are more willing to help each other because I think people understand that it's difficult to figure it all out on your own. And it's something really beautiful about these communities that people aren't just saying like, no, it's my idea. I will have all the money rather that they're willing to share. And I think that's just a beautiful thing to point out. It's it's interesting because um, like Aliza was just mentioning, it's, I think... A lot of, you know, these stress, these strategies that you were talking about, like, you know, you did your own focus group, mm-hmm. you, um, you know, you went to this man, right? Uh, I think in, in, in other terms, I think uh, this is a good, these are good examples of bootstrapping your own company that, that, you know, you hustled and you found ways, you made it, you made 10 cents stretch into a dollar because you wanted, you, you wanted to make sure that this was like a great idea that you could bring into the market. And a lot of times people always, you know, they don't know what to do next. They're like, okay, how do I, how do I make sure that this is a good idea or that's a good idea? But a lot of times we just have to go back to the to the basics. Yeah. And I think just you know you you're very simple, you're very humble, smart man, David. So I think if a lot of people go to the people who have experience or who are in those industries, and you come with the right attitude, mm-hmm. you're humble, and you're you not wanna learn. and you want to learn, and you're not trying to brag or trying to prove yourself to others. Say, hey, I'm the best. Look at me then most people in most industries, I'm not saying every single industry, but most people, most industries, like, you know, something just like you mentioned, people, they want to hear themselves talk. People, <laughs> they want to they wanna have the opportunity to, sh- to share their wisdom because maybe a lot of times they don't have that opportunity. But if you come knocking on their door and you give them that chance, at the end of the day, they're going to be like, man, I really like this guy, David. I really like Aurus or Aliza. There's something about them. But all you really did was you asked for their advice and, yeah. and that's it. But then they also want you to succeed because they want their advice to work as well. Exactly. Exactly. It all works out. Um, But I actually I wanted to ask you because um, a lot of people like when they start reading about becoming an entrepreneur and starting companies and everything like that, a lot of advice that's given is to come up with like uh, a certain demographic that you're aiming after and like a big idea and like all of these different marketing terms, um, like for a business plan and everything like that. Um, But it can be very overwhelming, I think, for someone who's starting out as an entrepreneur when they're just kind of passionate about a problem. Um, How important would you actually say figuring out all the nitty gritty of exactly what the demographic you're searching for? What exactly do they do? What do they like to shop? Like all of those things. How important would you say it is? Um, And which stage would you say an entrepreneur should really like invest their time in figuring all that out? Should it be like in the early stages or later on? Yeah, that's that, that's probably one of the mistakes that I've made early on was I bought in too much on the idea that a lot of that was critically important. And actually knowing that I didn't have the resources or the expertise to, to dig in and understand those markets and demographics and the, all that, the, the complexity of that, I, I would, I hired a company mm-hmm. and, and what I consider now wasted um, a lot of money on the research to develop this this research document that I still have. It still occupies a space on my OneDrive, but um, it never gets looked at. 
Um, so I, I don't want to I don't want to downplay the importance of planning and sort of having having a good vision of what you want to accomplish. But also, you know, I think one mistake is getting sucked into to investing too much time and effort on on the minute details when you're I think you're better served and looking at the big picture and kind of working down from there a bit. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in in beginning with the end in mind to, to still from Stephen Covey's um, list, but you know certainly certainly have a vision laid out. But I think that for most people, creating it can be more of a fun exercise where you, you know, you start with what what do you want to accomplish? What take a snapshot and look into the future and say what what do I want this to accomplish for me? And then just begin working backwards and figure out the steps that it's going to take to get there. But um, you know, I, I think that whenever it comes to solving problems and creating a product or a business that that is going to fill that niche. You, you want to, um, you know, I, I think focusing on the bigger picture first is important. There's time to, to, to break down the components later, but, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's not, I don't think it's as important as a lot of people put emphasis on. And the whole idea of developing these, these very detailed business plans, um, even for, for seeking financing and funding, um, they're not really as important as they used to be. You know, I think one of the processes used to be, well, you go to the SBA and they give you this big multi-layered business plan that you've got to put together and somebody's going to actually take the time to read it. That's not, that's really not realistic anymore. I think people, people make decisions based on emotions and enthusiasm and, and um, it's certainly, you know, you need to have your roadmap laid out, but I don't think that, um, you know, a detailed business plan is is as important as it used to be. Okay, so then, so then, what parts maybe you could tell us specifically are better for planning, and what other parts of starting your own company or starting your own business? What's better for planning, and what's better that you just you know that you just hustle or you improvise or you just play it by ear as you continue? Like put up a flyer and get a focus group together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly getting outside advice is is important, but um, you know, I think there's there's fundamentals with any business that you want to look at. You want to you you do want to understand who your market is, what you're going to be selling to. Um, obviously, in my case, it's a very broad market because virtually everybody uses cleaning products. Um, but there's going to be a lot of business ideas and and thoughts out there where you've got a very niche market that you have to sell to. So you want to make sure that you understand that market and begin creating solutions for it. But but if you have selected a problem to solve or a business to start that you're comfortable and familiar with, then you're a part of that market. You know, you odds are you um, you go through the thought process when you make purchases within that category. So trust your instincts, create things that resonate with you. And I think that's, that's an excellent place to start. You know, what, what, what makes you decide to buy a particular product or service or select a particular business and kind of build from there. Um, and, no, I don't. I don't. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> um, but it's a tough question to answer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My mind just races and goes in a different direction. But, um, but I don't know. Is it, did that answer your question, or did I even come close? No, no, no. Yes, yes. But, but, but then once again, I think it really depends on the business because mm -hmm. you're right. Your business, the, your market is very broad. Almost everyone buys. Because you know you, you got to clean your house, you got to clean your apartment, so you got to use certain products. Other maybe other businesses that are more niche, maybe there is a little bit more planning, or maybe there, there's a little bit more, uh, you know, more in, improvisation. What's the word? Improvisation. Thank you. She said it for me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that no, no, don't worry. You did answer the question. You wanted. To uh, sure. I actually I wanted to kind of twist the question a little bit. Mm. Um, when people are starting at a company, it can be very very intimidating to start it alone. Um, so people usually have the question of, should I find a partner or should I do it alone? What would your advice in this category be? And for you particularly, would you start over in a different way than you have? Ooh, 
Yeah, because I, I, I have I've been sort of a um, one man show from the start on this, mm-hmm. and I if to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have taken that approach um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges and hurdles. There's a lot of times where you really, you, you doubt what you're doing. You, 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 you know, you're not sure um, you question decisions. And when you're doing it by yourself, you really don't have anyone that's a sounding board. Now I, I fortunately sort of supplemented the fact that I was doing this on my own with, with a fairly good network of entrepreneurs and, and business owners and people that have already been down the path. So, so I had some people that I could use to, to, to run ideas by and to talk, but, but there's many times where I was completely alone and I was, you know, working late at night by myself and, you know, I, you have to, you have to motivate yourself and it can become tiring at times. And there are times that you just, you just don't have it in anymore. And I think having a partner, having a team, having a, you know, a a community around you, you, you feed off of each other's enthusiasm and energy and, and, you know, you may feel down today or, or discouraged, but other members of the team can, can be still enthusiastic and energized and, and that helps you build back up. So, um, I would probably doing it over again, I would probably work to bring on a partner, somebody that would share my enthusiasm with it, that maybe had a different set of skills that I did that would complement um, what I was bringing to the table. Um, and so, I, and, and, and it's funny, as I've gone through um, our fundraising um, efforts, um, and I've spent about a year and a half doing that, and we can talk about that in more detail in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, every pitch event that I was a part of, um, most everybody was there as part of a team. And I will tell you that that um, investors, they look to teams. Um, anytime somebody was ever evaluating my deal, um, I would actually get deemed on points you know, in evaluation because I was a one-man show. They all saw that as a weakness. So, so even from investors' standpoint, they like to see strong teams with varied skill sets. So, um, so yeah, if, if I had to do it back over again, I would have worked a little, little harder at finding a partner to jump in and, and join me on this journey. If nothing else, it just, it, it, I think it makes for a little less lonely trip. You know, it's so interesting. You, you kind of beat me to it. I was going to ask you, about like the whole partnership because it is true a lot of times when and we're going to get into this now about the fundraising and investing right now um that a lot of times when people are trying to invest in new startup companies they always and i've read and i've read some books on this they're a lot of investors always scared not scared but they're more apprehensive when they see a founder that's that's like a loan a one-man show as you mentioned because you know they always think of the worst like what if what if like one day this guy gets hit by a bus the whole is the whole company dead or let's say, you know, whatever happens, because anything can happen to this one person. And then there's this company that, that people, that investors or people have invested in, what, what's going to happen to it? So the future of this quote unquote one man show is very dangly. It's like, it's like we're not too sure what's going to happen. But tell us a little bit more about because you keep alluding to like the fundraising, that you're fundraising for dads. You know, tell the people who are listening a little bit of, about that world, about the fundraising for dads and maybe how people who are listening can get involved with dads as well, if they're interested. Well, you know, whenever I first started this out, I, I bootstrapped it. And I think that's a great route for most entrepreneurs to go down initially because it forces you to use the money wisely. It's your money. You worked real hard to accumulate it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken. I've, I've had, I, started this after a, a you know 20 25 year career where I was fortunate to um, to save some money and have resources to bootstrap a startup but I was still concerned with every single dollar so I think that it forces entrepreneurs to, to make better choices early on so so I think that it's great to start off that way but there will come a point in time depending on what your goal is and that's 
to, to seek outside fund funding, really, you've got to, to go back to that, you know, begin with the end in mind. Where do you, what do you want that business to be? So um, if it's somebody that's young, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s, and they see this as something they want to do for the next 20 or 30 years, um, then, then equity fundraising may not be the best route. Um, it may be that you want to look for more conventional uh, financing or some sort of a convertible note. So first determine what your goal is. Um, if you're wanting to build the company to exit, to have it acquired, you know, to sell, then then that opens up another opportunity because people investing more in equity fundraising, they look for an exit. And that's one thing if you go down sort of the traditional seed round, you know, funding route or the, the equity crowdfunding route that I'm on now, everybody wants to know what's your exit strategy. So you so to go down that road, you want to make sure that you, you know, okay, here's what I plan on doing. And it may be that you want to go public, you know, have an IPO. That's that's for investors, that's an exit opportunity. But for most people, it means to get acquired. So um, I think the first step is to understand where you want the business to be in three, five, 10 years. And that'll, that'll, that'll steer you in one direction or the other. Um, and then, you know, again, talking about if you're, if you're going this alone or if you've got a team or a partner, you need to realize the value that brings to the table when you go out on this fundraising round. Um, investors want to see a good depth of skill. And, and experience. And the more people you have a part of your team, the, the well better well-rounded you are as a company. Um, not, you know, and plus, you know, also you don't run the risk of, oh, what if I get hit by a car, you know, or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, that, that is a component of it too. But I think investors want to see depth. It's kind of like having a good good uh, sports team. You want you want depth of experience and skill and, and performance. So um, you know, for for entrepreneurs looking to take their business maybe to the next level, they've bootstrapped it for a little bit. They've got their proof of concept, um, prototypes done, or whatever the case may be to make that next step. Um, carefully selecting your fundraising route is is probably the most important decision to make at that point. For sure. Um, I just want to backtrack a little bit um, where you're talking about um, just like eliminating the loneliness a little bit of uh, going it alone. And, you know, like I started like a very small like tutoring business at one point and I was shocked because it's not a particularly difficult business. Like everyone needs tutoring and everything like that. But because I was alone, a lot of times I felt like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't have anyone to bounce this off of. I don't have anyone that's like egging me on. Like Aurus was with me the whole time, but if he's not work, if there, it's like important to have someone other than your spouse, um, that's working with you because your spouse can give you support, but at the same time in your head, you're like, yeah, but they love me. So they think like everything I do is great. Whereas if you have someone that's working with you in the nitty gritty, they're going to tell you like, this is a problem. Like we got to fix this. Um, but they're also passionate about what you're working on because they wouldn't be there if they're not. So you have someone that's like, okay, it's not just me that believes this is a great thing. This person also does. And when you're dealing with things that are more emotionally based, like the beginning of any entrepreneurship enterprise or uh, business venture, it is a lot about passion. It is a lot about just believing in what you have. And that's not something very concrete. So when you have someone else that's right there beside you that has those same things, it validates a lot of what you're doing. And it pushes you forward more and it eggs you on and you want to push that other person and you can bounce off of each other a lot more. Um, so it's just like a little bit of a survivalistic type of thing as well, I think. Um, but I want everyone in the audience to really know that this is really a revolutionary product and I do want them to have the opportunity to invest in your company. So do you mind telling the audience where exactly they can go um, to become a part of Daz and learn how they can help out and things like that? Yeah, um, and, and this is a investment opportunity and vehicle that that I really didn't know much about. I spent almost the entire year last year um, going the traditional route, meeting with venture capitalists, angel investors. I, I participated in so many pitch events where I would go in front of crowds and 
pitch my my business in seeking small, um, you know, individual investors that would come to the table with larger sums of money, where people would typically invest twenty five, fifty, a hundred thousand apiece, um, and then. Right at the beginning of this year, I was introduced to um, equity crowdfunding. Um, and I think everybody is pretty much aware of, um, you know, Kickstarter and some of the the um, crowdfunding platforms that are out there. And those those are interesting and they're great and they're good opportunities. But for somebody that um, it, it, you know, I'm not even going to call it investing, but if you were to go on to Kickstarter and find a, a product or something that you thought was cool, you know, the money that you put towards that is really sort of a donation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get something back, usually either some sort of a perk or a, a thank you letter or a T-shirt or maybe even a prototype of the product or a first round of the product. But but that's it. The company could go on to be a, an incredible success and you helped fund it, um, but didn't get anything out of it but that T-shirt. <laughs> so um, equity crowdfunding. Is, is was made possible by a um, SEC uh, regulation called Regulation CF, Regulation Crowdfunding, that allows for companies to go this crowdfunding route, but but provide equity as um, you know as as what they return to these investors. So instead of a a T-shirt with Daz on it, mm-hmm. you actually get stock in the company. So you get the opportunity to invest and own stock in our company. So when we become a success and when we reach our exit point, you're going to get a return on that investment. So um, I think it's it's a it's a unique opportunity. Um, it's one that hasn't been around but just a few years, and it gives people the chance to get in on ground floor opportunities that previous previously were only available to accredited investors, very wealthy individuals that could afford to invest in these early stage startup companies. Now, um, we set our limit because it, it being a part of this um, crowdfunding site called WeFunder, which you can find at wefunder.com, um, you can invest um, in, our, in our deal with as little as $100. So it opens up the opportunity for people to um, that, that, that may not have a lot of money to invest, but they still want to get in on the ground floor of something interesting, something neat, something innovative. And it's it, it is a bit of a roll of a dice. You know, you, you, you know, with your, your potential for a big return is there, but the potential to lose the money is there. So you'll notice if you go to WeFunder and you go through the investment process, there's a lot of cautions. There's a lot of um, disclaimers and things like that, which there should be. Um, but it's, it's a really cool opportunity. And what's, what's neat for me as a founder and as a company is it gives me the opportunity to engage directly with small investors. So um, currently in our deal, we have just about 1,500 people that have already invested. So these are 1,500 people that I'm engaging with that love the idea, that love the product, that also have a vested interest in seeing us succeed. So um, like, for instance, we just launched our new website and we posted it up on our investor bulletin board so that they can go in and look at it. And they're giving us great advice. We've actually, we uncovered a couple of minor little problems, thanks to them. So it gives us the power to engage with, with 1,500 consumers that share our interest in success. And it's, it's been very enlightening. It's been a, a yeah, it's introduced us to, to folks like you all too. So <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a really cool investment vehicle that's, that I think is a win-win for everyone. So, okay, so... So just for so everyone who's listening, uh, maybe you want to understand a little bit more. Tell me if, if, if I'm right or wrong, David. So let's say, for example, someone's listening, they're interested, and let, let's just say they invest $100, right? Right now, the company is valuing like a 5.5 or 7 million right now. 5 million valuation. Sorry, five, I apologize. So five. So let's say, and tell me if I'm wrong. We're not going to do the math here, but just like a more of an estimate. Someone who puts $100 right now at a $5 million uh, valuation. So let's say Daz in the future, five years from now, gets bought out for $700 million, right? So you would, so you would take the 700 divided by five, then you get whatever number you get, 
and then you times it by how much money you put in, which is a hundred dollars, and that's about how much money you'll get. Am I right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, and that that's a, that's a great analogy. I love that seven hundred thousand or seven hundred million dollar buyout. <laughs> 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 um, but you know, stranger things have happened. So um, you know, it's it's. You know, whether it's a $700 million buyout or a $50 million buyout, whatever, whatever increased value um, is derived, um, whoever invests, they get that same percentage. So, you know, even even on a on a, a simpler math scale, if we get bought out for 50 million, you know, that's a 10 times return. So that $100 investment will return a thousand dollars. So, um, you know, and that's that's where, you know, there's been so many exciting examples of of startup businesses that scale quickly. Um, And that's that's frankly one of the reasons why I selected household cleaners. You know, it's you know, a lot of people have said, why did you pick household cleaners as a business to get involved in? I mean, what what is Yeah. And not just because there was an easy easy problem to identify with the solution that I could, I could really bring to market, but it was the scalability of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I've always been intrigued by products that are mass produced, that are, that reach a huge audience and that can easily be scaled because for the fact that everybody buys household cleaners, if I can create a solution that's truly unique, that resonates with consumers the scale that I can grow this company is astronomical, um, as opposed to picking some some obscure, really cool thing that has got a very small niche market. The growth potential there is somewhat limited. Um, but with us and with this particular product, it's not just the U.S. market. Uh, one of the most exciting things that's happened to us is international distribution. Um, because the product is small and light, it can easily be shipped to foreign countries. And we are, we've already started uh, distribution in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we're probably a week away from signing our distributor agreement for Indonesia. Um, we've got markets all throughout Europe uh, that we're in discussions with. So this is the potential to grow to be an international brand really quickly. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, and I think a lot of our investors get involved because they quickly see the, the international potential. And what's really neat is, is we've got investors um, that, that have invested through WeFunder from 22 foreign markets. Hmm. So we have well over, I think we've got over 120 investors outside the U.S., from 22 different foreign markets. So the entire world is getting um, engaged with this business and with this idea. And um, and that's that, it's, it's really cool. I mean, I think that's kind of the world that we live in now is things aren't, nothing, nothing's just limited to just here in the US. That's so exciting. Like having like the whole world say like, yes, do this, keep going. Like I would get so excited by that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, plastic waste is a problem throughout the world. So this this is a solution for everybody, not just us. And what's really what's interesting, yeah, there's certain um, there's certain markets that have challenges that we don't really feel here in the U.S. We have a fairly contiguous distribution chain throughout the U.S. But you look at markets like Australia and Canada and and Indonesia, logistics plays a huge role in getting consumer products throughout those countries. And it's, it's challenging. Um, you know, Australia, I you didn't really, you know, you don't think about the fact that the whole interior of that country is, is, you know, undeveloped largely. So shipping and distributing things from one end of the country to the other is really challenging. Indonesia is another example because it's an island nation um, logistics and distribution plays a big part and shipping these big full bottles of cleaner, it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So our products are really starting to pick up on those markets very quickly because it solves a distribution issue. 
forget about the plastic waste, forget about, you know, the cost, all those other things, just from a logistic standpoint, it solves a problem that frankly, I didn't even really know existed. That's so cool. Hmm. That's so cool. Wow. I, I, I guess like a person would never think of these issues until you arrive there and then you're, you're seeing what's happening. That's so you're so accidentally helping people. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> now, just um, another thing. So, they, I have two uh, two questions uh, that I, that me personally, I'm interested in. The first one is a little. I mean, these two are more personal. So, the first one, I'm just curious, where does your last name come from? I, I've I've always wanted to ask you, but I just forgot. And the second one, can you maybe tell us maybe of a of an un- uncomfortable conversation you've mm. had to have? maybe at work or maybe even with your family due to maybe the company, you know, you maybe working too much or you working at Daz or something of that nature. So the, the last name and uncomfortable conversation and what did you do to overcome that, that obstacle? Like what communication styles did you have to adopt or learn how um, to use with like creating Daz? Yeah, well, I'll take the first one because because it's the easier <laughs> easier question. So so yeah, Shahan is actually um, Irish. Uh, I think there was a O in front of that O Shahan at at, uh, at some point. And the great thing about all the DNA testing um, that's available to us now, I was you know actually able to do DNA testing and confirm. Yep, I'm I'm Irish, Scotch Irish. So uh, I think that's the the the. Yeah, my my heritage and the name. Um, in terms of tough conversations, I think this is one that every struggling entrepreneur has to have at some point, and that's that's it's with your family. I mean, this could easily happen with your banker or with your landlord or whomever, but it's 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 addressing the times when things aren't going well, and. A lot of the outside influences are saying, hey, you really need, yeah, it, sometimes it's it's best to know when to throw in the towel. And you, as the entrepreneur, have, have sort of faced that and realized it's not time to throw in the towel. How can I now convince these people, you know, my inner circle, that that they got to hang in there with me a little longer. And what's interesting about the timing of my launch of this business, um, I had two kids in college. And with the, with the expense of college and everything going on, um, financially, you got to think, you know, is now really the best time to be rolling the dice on a, on a startup business? So it wasn't one single conversation. It was multiple conversations and with my wife, with, with, you know, other people in my family, you know, uh, people that I, you know, that are advisors to me times where they're like, Hey, this, this isn't, this isn't connecting. This isn't working. Um, because there was a point in time prior to 2018 where, um, I was getting a lot of notes. I hit the road and I visited with so many different retailers including that same buyer at Publix that was so encouraging. But when the time came for them to put it on their shelf, his answer was very conservative. And that was, well, we're really not big in launching new products. So as soon as you go out and have some retail success, we'll give you shelf space. Uh, But I heard that from every retailer. So I was getting, I got a year's worth of no's. Um, no, 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 because they just frankly didn't think consumers were ready for it. So, so having the conversation with, with family members that, you know, things are tough, you're struggling with this, but, but here's why you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and that's a, that's a tough one to have because, you know, being the primary breadwinner of the family, people are looking to you for the financial stability and, you know, you're rolling the dice with, with, not just your finances, but everybody's. So that was a tough question to have. And I think that the, the solution to that is just to share with them your passion. Make sure that they see that, you know, and that, that they understand it. And I probably became better at communicating my plan. Things that I had sort of kept to myself, I began sharing more um, because I think that the, the the better job I did at explaining my 
my plan and and why I believe so so strongly in this, it helped them to embrace it too. So there were things that I maybe wasn't as um, upfront about early on that that I later became better at communicating. And once they once they saw my passion, um, they 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 bought on. And then I also communicated, okay, well, folks, here's Plan B. If this doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. Um, we'll take our, our knocks and our lumps. You know, you guys will drop out of the big universities and go to <laughs> community <laughs> college. <laughs> um, but, but in the end of the day, we'll survive and, and, and we'll make it. So once, you know, once I got everybody on board with that idea, you know, they, they, they supported me. <laughs> That's great. That's a very good point about communicating your plan as well, like getting people involved and feeling like they're part of it as well rather than just like watching from the sidelines, like, you know, like, like, and like not even knowing what's going on. So it could be crashing or it could be succeeding and you have no idea. So like when people have like, even kind of like a, uh, not necessarily an accurate, but like a picture in their head, like, okay, I'm kind of in control of my own fortune. Then a lot of times they're more willing to be on board. Would yeah. you say that's true? hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Because now they feel like they're part of they're part of the hero's journey, right? Yeah. They're, they're they're part of it, and, and they can see what's happening. Maybe they're not they. Maybe they, they're maybe, not. They're not just passive. Like things are just happening to them. They're a little bit more active, and they feel like they have a, at least a little bit of control, you know, per se, on what's actually happening. Um, just for me, I just have a lot, two last questions. Maybe you you, you have a last question. Um, so I know everyone who's listening is going to ask this. This is a very t- technical question. I mean, I already know the answer, but the people who are listening don't know how much up to date has Daz made in sales um so our lifetime sales number is probably just we're probably at about 180,000 so it's not it's not that much in in the grand scheme of things um but um it, it you know, we, we had we had several years of trial and error as we were figuring out our markets. I think early on, I stayed away from the direct consumer channel and tried and focused a lot of effort on retail. Um, so then that was a mistake uh, on my part. Uh, I underestimated the e-commerce channel and what it could mean for our product. So um, we we began focusing on that a lot stronger at the beginning of this year. And we see our sales have, have essentially been doubling every single month as we acquire new customers. And so, um, you know, the path that we're on now will we'll be at that in monthly sales. We'll match our, our lifetime you know, total sales in, in, in monthly revenue, probably, um, probably by the end of this year at the pace that we're currently on. So, um, you know, so that's, again, that's one of the, one of the mistakes I made that, that now corrected and, you know, you learn from your mistakes and, and our focus at direct consumer is, is, uh, um, you know, is, is charting our, our future. So. That's excellent. Wow. So you first started, 180 grand in total, but now, now monthly, by the end of this year, you'll be 180 grand per month, correct? Correct. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's unbelievable. And in my part, my last question, um, would you, I just want to see, are there any like words of wisdom that you would like to give everyone who's listening, who wants to start something who, who, or maybe has a side hustle, they have an idea for a business. They're trying to become more business minded, more business like what words of wisdom could you give them that could motivate them, but also give them the discipline to actually make it in the future with whatever idea or venture they're trying to start or get into? Hmm. You know, I think probably the biggest thing that I would, I would encourage people to, to embrace is, is don't give up um, because they're, were many times, and then there's actually times previous whenever I had business ideas that um, that I gave up too soon. And I think I think it's 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 easy to get discouraged. It's easy to question what you're doing and and have doubts. 
Um, but my greatest advice would be to don't give up, um, to hang in there, find the solutions, find the strength. And that's, again, you know, where we talked about developing uh, your team, your network around you, because, you know, you, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to be, uh, you know, the, the lone wolf out there trying to make it on your own, build a, a good community around you and, and, and really build off of their strengths. Um, don't be afraid to turn to them when you need help. And, and, and stay strong, just don't give up. You know, it's nothing out there that's worth doing is, is usually easy. So stick with it and, uh, and don't give up. That's a great point to stick with it, don't give up. Um, but I also, I wanted to ask you what books you would recommend for our audience to read? Because I know that we're big readers and we yes. gain a lot just because you feel like you're tapping into other people's wisdom that you don't have to like sit there for years and trial and error and figure out. So what book or books would you recommend that our audience read tomorrow? Today. <laughs> oh, sorry. Today. Today. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, 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 and I, I, uh, I think I've, I've, uh, my attention span has always been pretty weak. Uh, I was a very poor student, somehow managed to get a degree um, just just by sheer luck, I think, because my attention span is always short. So I, I tend to gravitate to books, particularly business books that tend to be very, um, very strategic, very point-based. So um, I, I think one book that, that I think I've used more than anything is Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective mm. people. Um, because it's a good point, point, point that I can, that I can embrace and understand. So, and it's a short book. Um, I think it's timeless. You know, it's, um, I think it was first published back in the eighties, late eighties. Uh, but it will be as relevant a hundred years from now, um, as it was whenever it was first published. So, um, so that's probably the, the, the one that I would advise most for any entrepreneur to read, understand, and incorporate into your business because it, it helps you focus on truly what's most important and what, how you, know, you can develop your business plan entirely around those seven habits. Um, and it's also, you, know, you, you can apply it to your personal life as well, whether it's your marriage um, raising kids. I think there's, there's things that you can use there. And then the other book that I, that I, that was extremely interesting to me that changed the way I looked at looking at businesses. And that's, it was a book called the millionaire next door. Oh, and, that's a great one. and it's not, it's not, you know, it, it's not putting the focus on just about money and making money, but I think what it does is it teaches that, um, wealth isn't just for the, the, the glamorous industries. Um, it, it was more of an analytical book that, that delved into how people, and this, this was written probably 30 years ago, so being a millionaire meant something different then than it does now. A little easier to achieve now. But the fundamentals and the, and the, the basics are still very important, and that's that – most, most millionaires aren't made by the glamorous industries. They're the more mundane type things, but it's more the behavior of the individual that helps them achieve that wealth. So it's a great book to read to understand how to, how to adapt your behavior around building wealth. And you can do it with any industry. Um, and it, it told me that I didn't have to just look at the really fun, cool things, but Cleaning could be a industry that could could build wealth. So, um, so yeah, I, I, those, those are two books that that made kind of an impression on me. Wow, this was such a phenomenal interview, David. We really yeah. appreciate every single honest answer that you were able, to, you know, to our questions. And I and I, I'm telling you, everyone who's listening to this, please, guys, go back, re-listen to it. Maybe there was a certain point that you didn't understand. Go back, listen to the podcast, or if anything. David, where can people reach you? And can you tell them the link again? I think it's wefunder.com slash daz, correct? 
Um, well, it's it's actually the company name is Sun State Laboratories. That's true. As is our product. Our company name is Sun State Laboratories um, because we will be having some other products come out later. Daz yes. is our flagship product. Um, but if you go to WeFunder, um, we are prominently positioned on their homepage. Yeah. Um, our deal actually wraps up in five days. Um, and our uh, goal was to raise $1,070,000. Um, we will likely exceed that, we'll hit the goal, um, but we've put provisions in place to where we can be oversubscribed. So I think a lot of people will go to it and they'll see that our deal may be reaching sold out status. Um, it, we've, we're putting in a, another layer, a um, parallel raise that's gonna run um, together with it. So we wanna be able to accommodate really anyone that's interested in investing. So uh, yeah, you can find us at wefunder.com. And from there, you can reach out to me through that portal, or you can go to our website, dazcleaner.com. And there's a contact us page there. Um, I personally get every single one of those um, uh, contact um, uh, outreaches. So you're welcome to reach me um, just as I had some tremendous advice and help along the way. Um, I hope that I can share some of that advice as somebody coming up um, with a new idea or new new product. I'm always happy to help out where I can and, and, and pay it forward. I think you've definitely done that. And we really do appreciate your time. And you have given not just our audience, but also us a lot to think about. And we really do appreciate it and for taking the time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on.